What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. 2022 was another weird year for the film industry. On the one hand, blockbusters returned in a big way with Top Gun Maverick and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and others making big bank at the box office. But overall, audiences largely shied away from theaters and the economics of the direct-to-streaming continued to be a source of concern. All that said, it seemed at least a step or two back to normalcy. And even if audience didn't always embrace them, we got plenty of great new films this year. And that's why our panelists are here to present their favorites as the great pop culture debate presents the best films of 2022. I also met a multiverse version of myself with noodle fingers, and let me tell you, he was filthy. I'm your host, Eric Resniak. Please help me welcome my amazing panel. Much like Lydia Tarr, people can't decide if he's a tortured genius or a full-on garbage person. It's Brendan Hay. Eric, if you want to dance the mask, you must service the composer. You must sublimate yourself. Um, not unless you buy me dinner first. But <laughs> who am I kidding? I'm a cheap date. Uh, thank you, Bren. She's taking a break from fangirling Leslie Stahl with Nana Connie. It's Carissa Kloss. I mean, she's such an icon. I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy to be here too, although I have to say I'm more of a Barbara Walters girl myself. <laughs> He's fecking obsessed with men who feud and films. It's Kevin Dillon. I, too, will cut off my fingers if you talk to me, Eric. Oh, I was going to say, I know that Kevin's <laughs> been known to make men wail like banshees, oh. but for good reason. So, welcome back, Oh, well, Kevin. then, I'll take that. I bet you will. And finally, we have a special <laughs> guest star for this episode from Awards Daily. It's Joey Moser. Welcome, Joey. Hi. Um, Hi. <laughs> it's okay. We should have come up with something clever. I'm sorry, my friend, but we're so delighted to have okay. you. So our best of episodes are a little different than our usual format. No polls, no brackets, barely at even any debating. Our panelists just do a pop culture show and tell of their individual <laughs> top three films of the year. These could be films released in theaters, films created specifically for streaming services, whatever. They just had to be films released in the past 12 months. Do you disagree with our picks? Do you want to add your own favorites to the discussion? Head to greatpopculturedebate.com and leave a comment on this episode or find us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Mastodon, Hive, Facebook. God knows what else will be out there by the time this episode comes out, but find us and tell us what you think. With that out of the way, let's get into these top threes. And because I'm in a giving mood, I'll go first. Uh, my first pick <laughs> is 3,000 Years of Longing. Uh, this fantasy romance by George Miller premiered at Cannes in May to largely positive reviews, yet was completely ignored when it was released in American theaters late summer. It's a shame because I found this Tilda Swinton Idris Elba film to be moving, thoughtful, and visually arresting. Swinton, or Swinton! 
as readers of Go Fug Yourself know, the legend and iconoclast, plays Alethea, <laughs> a narratologist, basically someone who studies stories and the art of storytelling, who travels the world talking about how and why we as human beings have created stories to explain the inexplicable basically since time began. After arriving to do a presentation in Istanbul, she begins to have strange visions of otherworldly beings, some of whom directly interact with her, while others merely glare at her menacingly. After collapsing during one such episode, she visits the Grand Bazaar with a colleague and picks out a seemingly worthless trinket from a vendor. After taking the glass bottle back to her hotel room, she opens it and releases a gin, better known to American audiences as a genie, played by Idris Elba. The movie then unfolds with Elba's gin explaining to Alethea how he came to be trapped not once, not twice, but thrice in astonishing stories that stretch thousands of years and all of which are delivered with rich visuals and captivating performances. Meanwhile, Alethea, who knows stories and therefore understands that no story about wishing ever ends well, considers how to extricate herself from a mystical bond she never intended to forge and go back to her simple, isolated existence. There's much to love about this film. Swinton! disappears in the character of Alethea, <laughs> burying her naturally cultish energy for a reserved yet shrewd approach. Elba is captivating as the djinn, delivering tremendous pathos as well as flashes of leading man swagger. The art direction in the film is stunning. Each section of the tale grabbed me completely. I got a bit lost in the more esoteric discussions about djinn, but I'm sure there's a parallel between stories themselves. And I couldn't help but wonder how literal we were supposed to take what was unfolding in the film as it seemed at times as though they were hinting that Alethea might in fact be creating this entire situation as a panacea for her loneliness. Regardless, I found this to be lovely. It was truly beautiful and a thought-provoking meditation on love, on wanting versus needing, and what true sacrifice means when you care for someone. So that's my first pick. Has anyone seen this film? I have not. I've been meaning to since August. I believe Kevin, you saw, saw it. Did it. you not? I, I saw it. I saw it. At, um, it was like National Movie Day or something like that. It was like three dollars mm-hmm. to go see movies at the AMC, and we were like, "Let's let's go see this." And oh. I was really pleasantly surprised by it. I had heard actually mixed things about it from Cannes, and like there were, it just seemed like largely a disappointment because I think a lot of people were comparing Miller's work to like the esoteric genius of Mad Max Fury Road and like I was not expecting much from this movie and I was it's one of the few films that like actually genuinely surprised me with how much I enjoyed it just because I thought it was really beautiful and I liked a lot of what you get from the what I don't know the Swinton thing that you're doing but I love it now um I, I think what you get from her like loneliness was really fascinating. And I yeah. think it, it was, it is a really interesting, and I don't know how much Miller connected it to the pandemic in, in many ways, but like, like how that kind of evolved through this. And I've, I've heard some complaints about pandemic films, but this just felt like a really interesting exploration of relationships and how we like yeah. form bonds with folks. And I, I, I think it was really kind of almost like old school meets new school in such an interesting way. I can see that. I mean, it to me really did feel like an epic film in many ways. I mean, the yeah. historical parts are 
I, I couldn't take my eyes off of them. To me, they were part of my, my favorite parts of the film. Um, I totally see where people who were going in expecting the guy who brought you Mad Max to give you more, <laughs> but this was like the softer side of Sears for me. Like I really love seeing <laughs> his tenderness. And um, that just, it was like this film soaked in that, right? It, the, the gentleness and the, the humanity of it is a far cry from Fury Road or, or any other of the Mad Max films. Yeah, I think that's one of the things for me where there's like this thread of, I really connected to movies that had emotional heft to them and vulnerability mm-hmm. um, this year more so than anything. And I think that's what I, pulled me in with this film. Like it, it yeah. really... It's you're you're really right. It shows a much softer, like it's almost kind of like Babe, Pig in the City, George Miller. Like it shows that like mm-hmm. softer side of him. Like that's just like very lovely. He's a very thoughtful person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Joey, Carissa, have either of you seen it, Joey? No, it's like one of those movies where I was like, I'm gonna get to that before the end of the year. I haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah, and I yes, think it happened to a lot of people. I am my Redbox list. Good. I I yeah, recommend I- it. What I keep meaning to do a. I wanted to do a an Idris Elba double feature of that and Beast. But I, <laughs> I'm like determined to do them together. I'm on board of that as well. Yeah. No, I think why not? I yeah. was just disturbed by Beast. It wasn't the Alyssa Edwards story, and so <laughs> for me, I'm, no, I just I, I'm kidding. Um, she was not consulted. I'm so sorry. She was not consulted. Idris Elba playing Alyssa Edwards. That is the film I need to see. So uh, with oh that, God. I will pass the torch over to Brendan. What is your first pick for the best film of 2022? Uh, so I'm going to start out with tar. Um, so yeah, this is one of those, as I'll describe it, a movie that I can understand why somebody might not immediately want to jump into a nearly three hour film set in the world of classical music conducting. Um, however, it is one of the most thrilling, exciting, and just took a movie that just sticks with you. Um, so yeah, stars Kate Blanchett as Lydia Tarr and it's, she plays a, an EGOT winning conductor who I think in probably the only buy-in you really need in the movie, an EGOT winning conductor who everybody does seem to know the face and name of. So just that's your one buy-in to the world. But um, she is days away or weeks away from what should be the pinnacle of her career when suddenly everything about her starts to unravel and come out both in the press and in her private life and just everything kind of starts to fall apart. Um, And... Yeah, I mean, I was going to keep it at that because I'm also not sure what level of spoilers or details or anything like that because I do think it's a film that people are still discovering thanks to it popping up now on critics' lists and such. But um, for me, Lydia Tarr is the most fully realized fictional character of the year. Uh, it's just she feels real like to the point that I still wonder, like I would love to hear Lydia Tarr's like chiming in on current events. Like what's her take on Twitter these days? Like this sort of thing. Like she's just you walk out of the movie being able to almost assume how she would feel about things. And the movie is incredibly specific in every choice and detail, but all to the end of leaving everything open for the viewer's interpretation. Like it walks this fine line of showing, but never telling and always being clear, but letting you decide. Um, I mean, I remember afterwards, Kevin and I were even still like debating like the interpretations of specific scenes and moments like afterwards on discord. So it's just, it's yeah, it's a movie that lives with you. And Blanchette gives maybe her best performance and honestly one of the best performances I've seen by anybody in years. And the rest of the cast is great too. Uh, in particular, uh, Nina Haas as uh, her wife and uh, I'm 
could be butchering this, Naomi Merlant from um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire as her assistant and former lover and everybody though. It's just, everyone is so fantastic. And it, again, it's also so much is expressed without dialogue. It's one of these fascinating things where um, I got a chance to see the screenplay. It's like a 90 page screenplay for a three hour film. And he even Todd field has a note at the top of like, this is going to seem like it'll run less than uh, two hours. However, it is going to run far, far longer or something like that is his disclaimer. Um, but it's just because the camera really takes its time with everyone's faces. And the sound is amazing in this film, too. Like you really get to put in the head of this gifted yet terrible person. Um, or at least that's my take on her. Maybe other people are like, no, she's just misunderstood. But um, anyway, I, I loved Tar, and uh, I want more Lydia Tar. I want a Lydia Tar cinematic universe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Tarverse, um, yeah. And I think saying, you know, it's it's Kate Blanchett's best performance on screen. Like that is a statement because, like, yeah. when is Kate Blanchett not amazing? But uh, yeah, there's one other film I saw this weekend where she literally voiced a monkey, and it was also one of the best performances I've seen all year. <laughs> like she can really do it all. Uh, I believe I know at least Carissa and. Uh, you guys can't see this, obviously. This is an audio format, but uh, <laughs> my friend Kevin logged into this as Lydia Tarr, so I think he probably has some thoughts. Joey, had you seen it? Oh, yes. And did you enjoy it? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, I think it sort of has, uh, I want to say haunted me, but I feel like I have thought about a lot of visuals from the movie way more than I expected to. Um, I did want, <laughs> you know those ads in newspapers with like from like maybe the New York Times and stuff where they have like ads for symphonies. I want that design to be like the awards campaign. Like I want to see, I want to <laughs> yes. see Lydia Tarr in newspaper ads for like you know playing some form of Philharmonic in a comeback. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Kevin, since you are our resident Lydia Tarr, what are your thoughts? I mean, I I was like, I want to talk about Tar, but I think I know Brendan. Brendan wants to talk about Tar, so I was like, no. Thank you, good. by the way, for that again. You're welcome. Um, I mean, Tar is my favorite film of the year. Like, I think the concept of it, uh, I think, Joe, you said this, it's haunted you, or, or you, maybe we both said this, it's haunted you for a while. I think that's kind of the perfect emblematic uh, example of why this film resonates so much this year. Uh, Todd Fields is genius. Um, three for three. Yeah. directing little children and in the bread bedroom uh, all like these just like gems of human character study that uh, emulate things in such perfect perpetuity. like in the bedroom and little children were adaptations tar is original. And so it's his first original major original screenplay. And I just watched eyes wide shut yesterday and <laughs> He's the piano player and yeah. he's also at, like, so there's this, like, he's such a great study of character. And I also would agree. I, I do think it's her best performance ever. Um, it is, she, I just, there's someone who does like screen time on Twitter. I think his name's Matt Stewart. And he, she's in 85% of the film and it would be like, the second longest Oscar nominated performance in the history. Like it's, it's, it awe inspiring and brilliant and has a lot of people have talked about final scenes in movies this year. I still think it's the best final scene in a film of the year. There oh, yeah. are a couple that are pretty close, but I think it's just like, I don't want to say what it is because it's important for you to experience it, but it's both fascinating, hilarious and 
I'm going to leave it at those two descriptors yeah. because there are other things you could glean from it. It's just, um, it's a, th- it is a three hour movie that I almost want more. I want more of like, that's, mm-hmm. that's very what I would think of it. So, yeah, I will say also, cause it does also bring the ending. Just one last thing. It's also shockingly funny. Yes. There is oh, a it's lot of moments. Funny. It is so biting and surprisingly funny with that ending being almost like, oh, this is the punchline to the setup that was the rest of the film. I didn't even quite see coming. Right. Rosebud is actually the name of the sled. <laughs> God damn it, Eric. <laughs> Carissa, any thoughts for you on Tar? I absolutely loved it. It was amazing. And I was a little bit bummed, but that we that I saw the film after we recorded our best best actress episode for the podcast um, because it it was right up there with some of the best performances that we discussed like Kate Blanchett is amazing and I adore Todd Field in the bedroom is one of my favorite films mm-hmm. like I I think he's great like as Kevin said he's got three films but he's got three perfect films. And so this was such a joy for me to experience this year and to see in the theater. I, I It hits on every single cylinder. I loved it. Uh, just if you're listening at home and you're like, wait, did I miss the best, best actress episode that has actually not been released yet? Uh, it will be coming <laughs> out uh, in, in, a, in a month or so. It's part of our Patreon sponsored episode. So uh, and you can look forward to that. It was a great conversation. But Carissa, while I have you, why don't you talk to me about your first pick for best film of 2022? Ooh, OK, so um, I'm going to start on the low point and go up to a high point. But this actually so. This is the first film I saw uh, in 2022 that was released in 2022 that I really loved. So it came out in January. It's called The Fallout. It came out on HBO. Um, it's uh, It stars Jenna Ortega, and it is the story of a school shooting and the aftermath. So it's heavy. Um and kind of in prepping for this podcast, I rewatched it a couple of hours ago <laughs> just to like make sure, even though I doubled down on this is one of my top picks, um, that this is what I wanted to talk about. And because it's the first thing I saw this year um, and I'm still kind of wrecked <laughs> by it. Um, the rewatch, it, it's amazing. I I loved it so, so much. Um, the second time through, I loved it possibly even more, even though I was possibly even more wrecked. So it, it is the story of a school shooting, but it's mostly the story of the aftermath, hence the name, the fallout. Um, it opens with the school shooting, but we never see it. We are in the bathroom with some students who are hiding um, once they start hearing gunshots and then someone else comes in with blood on his shirt and it turns out that he ends up losing his brother. Um, And you're just with these students and I think maybe they tangentially say the name of the shooter once in the film, but that's not the focus. The focus is on the kids who live through it and how they're coping Um, and just I graduated high school about a month after Columbine happened. So school shootings weren't part of my life. Um, you know, active, active shooter scenarios were not part of my life. I live in Colorado. Um, 
Boulder. <laughs> I live in Boulder. We we had a grocery store shooting that was devastating like a year and a half ago. Um, you know, this is part of a lot of people's lives. And <clears throat> this is the part, uh, like school shootings particularly, are the part of the lives of like an entire generation at this point. And this film, to me, just like shows, you know, I, I just all of it, like the kids dealing with it, the parents wanting to do something, but not knowing how to help and the kids not knowing how to ask for help. Um, there's shots of doom scrolling just, you know, on TikTok. There's um, shivering in a bathtub. If you've ever lived through trauma, you've sat in your bathtub and you shivered. Like, it, it, it's just incredibly humane. Um, there are moments of incredible honesty and hilarity throughout it. And it's lyrical and it's beauty. It's just, it's one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. And watching it again made me sob like a baby, but I, I don't regret any part of it. And it's part of the year of Ortega. Uh, year of Ortega. My God. <laughs> and she really stars in this as like a, I don't know, am I queer kind of, you know, kid who, yeah, is in the bathroom and then starts hearing gunshots and jumps onto a toilet. Like, this is how the movie starts. Has anyone else seen it? I have not. I would say this, uh, you mentioning it in the email thread is the first thing I put it on my radar. It's still one that's now kind of on my like to watch list, thanks to you, but I uh, have not gotten to it yet. It's amazing. Like, it's really, really incredible. And did you say um, it was HBO? It, yeah, it's on HBO. It's got um, the parents are, are also like famous actors. And um, there's also the therapist. And yeah, there's like, there's some queer stuff happening. There's like sibling stuff. There's also like this storyline of the younger sister having issues of guilt because like she was texting her sister and her sister's like, no, actually maybe you saved my life. Like there, there's all of this stuff happening in it. And also just like, it just like the idea of where you feel like you can finally get to a place with trauma, but you're never actually past it. Yeah. Um, and, and the, the realization for somebody in a viewership mode, um, that, that this is the reality of at least a generation of people, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it like, it's heavy, but it's lyrical and it's beautiful. And I highly, highly recommend it. And it's part of our year of Ortega. So exactly. she's amazing in it. Absolutely incredible actress. Kevin, uh, had you seen it or? I haven't seen it, but I, I think, I, I think I was, when I looked it up, I think what it made me think of, it was, it's this, this like transition or interesting point in like films that are on streaming platforms that are not necessarily getting the, uh, we're we're in this like split system now, right? Where mm -hmm. we've got mm -hmm. these like Marvel major blockbustery type things, and then you've got these smaller intimate films like mm -hmm. this, or maybe like a Good Luck mm -hmm. to Leo Grand mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. Fresh, etc. Mm -hmm. Those types mm -hmm. of movies where we're like, is this a? It, it, where is this falling? What does this? Where does this lean? It's obviously still a film, um, mm -hmm. and, and it 
has become this like blurred line. We'll have a best of TV episode, but like, is the TV movie a thing anymore? Should we kind of just get rid of that with Emmys and like mm-hmm. figure out how the Oscars can embrace films like this or, or how mm-hmm. film awards quote unquote can embrace this. And I think Carissa, you bring this up kind of brings in or melds like why this conversation. So like cinema and like going to the film theater, mm-hmm. but yet also like how do we adapt and evolve that practice is, mm-hmm. is super important for, for, this best of year in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like in earlier years, there was a more clear divide between like theater films and like made for TV films. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even theater films these days are moving to streaming really quickly, really fast, really fast. Or like, or like doing one of my other picks, like did the festival circuit and then immediately went to streaming, Mm -hmm. you know, VOD. So, yeah, it's a really blurred line. And then, you know, what does what does that do ultimately? But like even the playing field as far, you know, it re- removes some kind of classist judgment around things. I think it's a really interesting time. And, and I referenced that in the intro, like saying we're in a weird transition period for the mm-hmm. industry. And as someone who works yeah. in the industry, Brendan, I'm sure the industry has a lot of feelings about this. And oh, it's yeah, it's completely fucking terrifying right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I have to imagine it's it's a little bit similar to what happened to the music industry when Napster came in and it's, just it's, yeah. blew up like what had worked oh for God. generations. Napster, does yeah. that take you back? No, that just made me, that just aged me. Like, I'm glad I have my wine in my hand. Oh. Where's the Napster that? biopic, man? Mm. I want to see that one. But And then there's there's there was a, um, um, a thing even. So back in 1994, uh, Linda Fiorentino was in a movie called The Last Seduction. Oh, yeah. And yeah, of it course. Had, yep. It had some level of theatrical release, but it technically played on HBO before yep. its theatrical release. So because it played on HBO before its theatrical release, she was not allowed to contend for Oscars. And unfortunately, mm. maybe fortunately for Jessica Lang, we got that terrible blue sky <laughs> Oscar win. Um, and we yeah. were robbed of this, but like she was nominated for BAFTAs. Yeah. And so other awards bodies considered mm. it a quote unquote yeah. film. And so I think we're, we're kind of back in that, like that day. Uh, yeah. Well, as we say, specifically even with Fallout, I think it actually did get submitted for Emmy consideration mm-hmm. instead. Yeah. Like it is, it's kind of like almost up to the mm-hmm. streamer to decide what films yeah. are we sending here, what films are we sending there. I feel like what it's, what's happening is like when movies debut at film festivals, I feel like they are just charting the buzz and how much people are paying attention to it and how much people mm-hmm. are talking about it. Mm-hmm. And then I people ask me all the time, like, well, what's sort of the difference and it's just i think right now it's just coming down to where studios or networks decide that they can play something in order to get more traction in an awards Mm -hmm. race Mm -hmm. um i think that's like which is so odd to think about that that's how they're determining you know what something is i'm using air quotes here but it's it's sort of um it's weird it's very very (laughs) weird i'm constantly checking um like googling like hbo FYC sites or Amazon movie FYC site and it'll sort of show you where it falls and sometimes it moves from the movie side to the TV side and vice versa. It's really strange. Yeah. Coming soon, Dancing with the Stars, the motion picture for your consideration. No, I, I kid, I kid. But Kevin, why don't you talk to us about your first pick for movie of the year? 
Okay, I'm probably going to pronounce this word wrong, so I'm only going to say it once. Um, my first film that I'm going to talk about is The Bans- Banshees of Inisherin. And I think that's how you say it. Um, which, sure, um, I'm not Irish. Well, my relatives were Irish or from Ireland. Um, but this film is written and directed by Martin McDonough. If you told me this year that I would be talking about a Martin McDonough film, I would have told you you're nuts because I hated, I hated three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, like a lot. Cut to me at IFF Boston, the year that film came out, what, 2017? Yeah, about that. I think so. I was I was so excited to see movies early living in Boston and I was like, Mark McDonough, I loved in Bruges. Great. Sat in that theater and as the film the lights went up, I was like, huh. There's <laughs> people liked this and I don't know why I can't put my finger on it, but there's something wrong with this movie set in America. And blah, 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 blah. I, so I didn't, I was like, okay. Um, I am a huge fan of Martin McDonough's plays. I've seen plays of his on Broadway. I think he's an excellent writer. So I was like, oh, this is set in Ireland. This is a film starring Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, two people who he did great work with on In Bruges. Um, Barry Keoghan is in it. Um, this is going to be, I'm, I'm intrigued. Um, And I saw this at a four o'clock screening in Lincoln center where a woman was sitting and a woman was sitting in my, no, had her popcorn sitting in my chair, I guess I should say, and told me I was in the wrong seat. And I was like, fuck, this is going to ruin my mood. And I was like, you know what? I, this is a four o'clock screening. I'm going to move to a clearly empty seat and have a great time and not let this happen. And and I did. I, I love this film. I think it's one of the best written films of the year. Um, the film follows um, Colin Farrell's character and uh, Brennan Gleeson's character as they had a very, very, very close friendship for many, many years. Um, and all of a sudden, Brendan Gleeson's character um, decides that he just doesn't really want to talk to him anymore. Doesn't want to have a relationship with him, wants to cut ties with him. And Colin Farrell's character is this dense, innocent, um, who is quote unquote hapless and just like values, just like love and friendship and, and wants to just be buds with everyone and share a pint at the pub every day after work. Um, and, um, it gets to a point where Brendan Gleeson's character is basically saying, if you don't stop talking to me, I'm going to cut a finger off um, every time you try to approach me. And I'm not going to give much more away. Um, but what I think this inassurance, I'm, I'm not saying you it did correct. It, the, the, it's fine. It's fine. Is it, is not a real place. Um, and it's this small, isolated town. And um, I think what this film represents is a lot of different things. Um, you get these two, this, this film about friendship or the, dis- the, the dissolution of friendship um, kind of in parallel with the, 
the Irish Civil War and what that looks like. And that's a lot of what this film is at its core representing. But yet, it, it doesn't always have to be about that. I think it's very interesting in its exploration about male friendship in, in a really beautiful and important way and and how I think male friendship in in general from a cultural standpoint whether it be uh, like a European centric friendship or obviously with this being UK it has a little bit of a different underpinning um, you get to see what this looks like um, and I think what's super interesting is is like Brendan Gleeson's character really values music and culture and art and wants to kind of focus his you know, his friendships and power around that. Whereas Colin for Farrell's character is a farmer and simpler and, and, and is kind of happy to just keep up with the day to day grind. And like, you see the, like how friendships fall apart because of their different interests and what they want to focus their lives around um, in this small space, in this small town as you know, chaos is kind of unfolding around them. And, and there, there's a lot that happens in this. I mentioned Barry Keoghan's character is, is quote unquote, like the town town fool. And he's very lovely and delightful and his character adds a good bit of humor to it. And then there's Carrie Condon who plays Colin Farrell's sister. And I, I personally think she's the best performance in the film because she grounds the, the, kind of Irish male perspective in this beautiful feminine artistic woman who wants to be a librarian and kind of grounds who these men are and tries to get them to just be friends and speak. And she's trying to play mediator and her role really represents this kind of center ground of how can we cohabitate and where her character goes kind of shows you um, why this can't be possible. And, and there's like a dissolution that exists in that form. And, and I think that's what makes the script one of the best of the year. The score by Carter Burwell is beautiful. I could, I, I, I think this is, it's just such a surprising delight for me. And so I'm going to stop there because I could talk a lot about this one. I'm just glad the popcorn Karen didn't ruin your movie. So. I know it was so hilarious. By the way, I just, no, I think you've got the wrong seat. And I was like, no, this is this is it. I, I think popcorn coming Karen though comes with every screening at Lincoln Center. Yeah, it's I don't think very true. true. Lincoln Center it's Theater a, without that experience. It's a feature, not a bug. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Joey, have you seen it? Yes, I'm. I'm sort of in love with this movie too. Um, I actually, uh, I am posting later, as soon as we're done recording this, I'm posting an interview with Carter Burwell. I think it's one of his best scores. It's, it's gorgeous. Um, the thing that I, that I think is so, um, sad about this story is the fact that this Island, which is fictitious, um, it's, it's, it's small. Everyone knows everybody. It's like, what the hell do you do if somebody in like a two mile radius says, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Like that's such like a basic sort of oddly fundamental problem to have. But I think that is rather heartbreaking. Yeah. And, and I like that the script doesn't go, it doesn't explain everything to you. You don't, you don't, you know, I think some audiences are like, well, what's the, what's the reason they never explain it. And I love that about the script. And I have to say, Kevin, how dare you for not mentioning Jenny? 
Um, oh, the dome. In your yes. Um, I was um, I was very into the animals in this movie. Um, yes. And I I think Colin Farrell. I I'm a big drum beater for men who I probably drooled over who actually just happened to be really good emotional comedic actors. Yeah. Um, like Channing Tatum, please enter the chat. Chris Hemsworth, <laughs> please enter the chat. Um, I don't know. There's just a lot. And it's just like, he has, he has one of the most interesting careers to me. And I yeah. just think that um, that role is a lot trickier than people actually think it is. And I think that Martin McDonough was so smart to cast these two wonderful men back together again because they have such an insane level of chemistry. Um, I, I love this movie too. It's it's so uh, restrained and very very simple. And I think simple sort of storytelling is really hard to do almost. Um, and I think it's just wonderful. So I too can just someone please dump me off. I can talk about this movie a lot. <laughs> Fabulous. I, I love all of this gushing over it. In fact, that's uh, someone, actually it was Brendan's wife in a previous one was like, make sure you add all the people we talk about on this episode because we're just gushing over them and they need to hear yeah. it. And I was like, yeah, I'm totally down <laughs> yeah. for that. So we're going to add you our Martin Ma McDonough. Um, but Joey, why don't you take us in, out of round one with your first pick uh, film of the year? Oh, sure. Um, I, I feel like I, I don't have much to say about this movie other than just how much I love it is uh, the Woman King. Um, I think, like you sort of mentioned at the top of the episode, there is a lot, you know, talk about going back to the theater and blockbuster filmmaking and how these movies are, you know, supposed to pull in these audiences to welcome people back. And I knew I was going to be into this movie, um, which is about a, you know, a group of warriors in the 1820s um, in a West African kingdom led by Viola Davis, um, who I just feel like Viola Davis, she's one of those women, she's like, has the same quality as Angela Bassett. I just am hypnotized every time that they are on screen. And she plays this, um, you know, warrior leader who's sort of ushering in this new generation of young women. And it's just sort of like, there's a lot of stuff about mother-daughter dynamics. There's a lot of stuff about, um, you know, doing stuff on your own terms. There's a lot of stuff in there that I think is very, very rich while just happening to be a really well-directed action movie. And the other thing that I love about it is like the color of this movie is insane. Like the, the, the costuming is absolutely gorgeous. You can sort of see the differences between like the more accomplished warriors have different tunics on versus like someone like Thusa Mabedu, who is a, uh, a new up and coming warrior. Her tunic is white and blue as if it hasn't earned its colors yet. I think as visually it is very communicative with the audience. And um, I think the movie did get, you know, odd amount of flack for like historical accuracy and stuff like that. But I just thought, it was just a really great time to go to the movies and explaining a story and history that we haven't seen before. And I was bowled over by it. And I feel that not to talk about awards or anything, but like, why isn't this a shoe in for best picture? Because it is a hit. It's made a lot of money. It's still in theaters. It's very well reviewed and the audience loves it and crafts across the board are great. So um, I'm just here to shoot the horn for, the woman thing. 
I love it. I, I love it when people toot the horn for women of any kind. Um, I know that Kevin saw it. Carissa, did you see it? I haven't yet, um, but it's this and Nope are the things that I've missed in my local theater. Like they came and went and um, I've seen Nope and I wish I'd seen it in the theater because of the sound design, I think. Mm -hmm. And Woman King, I'm so psyched for it to come to like regular streaming, not like $20 $20 VOD. <laughs> yep, I had the same experience, Chris. Right? I tried to watch it this week and I was like, well, I'm not paying $20. Yeah, like it's going to come to Redbox really soon. Yeah. Um, and I will watch it on my beautiful, you know, in-home, whatever, but it's not going to be the same and I'm going to miss out on something. So yeah, there are a couple things I missed in the theater this year that made me wistful and this was one. And for the visual reasons and nope for the sound, I think. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Kevin, do you have some thoughts uh, briefly on, on Woman I, King? I, I hate to rub this in at this instance, but it's the most fun theater experience I had in uh, 2022. I'm so sorry. Like, genuinely, I I was going to say that. And you, when you said that, I was like, oh, salt in the wounds. Um, sorry. No, I mean, the audience was in this movie. I more feel. than, more than yeah, any movie I saw this year. More than Top Gun. More than... Uh, I mean, I guess Black Panther also had like a lot of silence, but it was Mm -hmm. for this. It was like cheering. It was like, yes, like it was go like it was so powerful. And it's It's my bad. It's (laughs) it's my bad. So and it's it's fair. Yeah. But it sets a tone for the whole theater um, experience. Brandy yeah, I, I was just going to say, just for, again, for the return to theater type of thing, tying back to what you said at the top, Eric, this to me is also, it's, I want more movies like this, just in the sense of like, genuine spectacle, but a story I haven't heard a million times before. Uh, so it's just, yeah, it really encapsulates like, yeah, this is part of the fun of going to a theater. I had a handful of experiences this year. It's like, right, this is why I miss this so much. Um, and then the other thing also is, I do feel like 20 to 30 years ago, this would have swept the Oscars. Mm. Like it also was a really fun throwback to like, man, I miss a 90s style historical epic, but with better action choreography. Yeah. Well, and I will say the, the, I'm sorry, I was just going to say, I saw the movie late, like late in the run because I I came to it late and I saw it at like Thursday at three o'clock when I knew that there were only like me and 10 other people. You could, I could have sworn there was like 150 people. Mm-hmm. Crazy. That's why I still think it's going to get a best picture nomination or I guess why I, I, I mean you will see me tweet every week probably there not <laughs> enough people are talking about this film because I just genuinely think it is so good like there's something and again I think the historical th- critiques etc that people had I'm like where were these for X film like a year ago? Like you're, you're, you're bringing up some like nitpicky stuff that people didn't even bring up for like other historical films. Like, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Tom Hanks is doing a foghorn leghorn thing. Where is that critique? Like I get that he was Colonel Parker, but like he's not foghorn leghorn. Let's calm it down, dear. But like, no, I, I think, I think Woman King is, is, it's just, I would love to, I would also love to see Gina Prince Blythewood be a serious director contender because her direction is really good. I will yeah. say the script is, 
Maria Bello needs to go back to USC for maybe some writing lessons, but otherwise it, it is really well directed. Yeah. Well, excellent. Thank you, Joey. A great first pick. And with that, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back for round two of our picks after these messages. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to our best of 2022 film episode. We're going to move right on to our second round of picks, and I am up first. Uh, my second pick is Top Gun Maverick and Gales. I am as shocked about this as you are. Uh, Kevin said last round, I never thought I'd do a Martin McDonough pick. Here I am. If I had to make a list of things that leave me wanting in cinema, military films, creaky reboots of long dead franchises, male pain, <laughs> you would expect that this sequel to 1986's Top Gun would not be here on my best of the year list. And yet, here we are against all odds, director Joseph Krasinski, who between this and Tron Legacy is really carving out quite the niche for himself in unexpectedly great sequels to films from 30 plus years ago created a film that wait for it took my breath away i hope you see the david caruso uh. shades and yeah you knew it was coming you knew it uh. Uh, top gun maverick sees tom cruise's hotshot pilot seeing the end game of a military career spent flying in the face of authority he's about to get pushed out of the navy altogether until he's given one last post return to the top gun program and train the next generation of top pilots for a mission that seems impossible to pull off oh and he has to contend with the son of his former co-pilot with whom there's an entire luggage cart full of baggage and also a former flame in Jennifer Connelly's Penny, who has been burned far too many times. Nothing about the plot will surprise you, but Maverick is still captivating. Cruz is excellent, returning to the role that made him a megastar and bringing to it the world weariness of a man on the verge of career and social extinction. The supporting cast is terrific. I am not a Miles Teller fan, but damn if he is, he is not great in this role. Ed Harris and John Hamm trade off being uptight military badgers. Glenn Powell <laughs> can put his sting in me sideways. And I am always <laughs> delighted to see Jennifer Connelly on my screen. And my God, she is gorgeous in this. I know that that's not fair and I shouldn't be talking about this, but I was just like, girl is like a Ralph Lauren ad every moment on this screen. And just every second is as engaging with her as the fight sequences. Speaking of which, those flying sequences are jaw dropping. I have no idea what was practical, what was digital. I also don't care. I am not at all the target audience for 
for this film, but my attention was fixated on all of the machines going boom. This will likely go down as the definitive film of Hollywood 2022. I'm saying Hollywood specifically is like the machine, and with good reason. My only real note, not a single song from Mr. Kenneth Loggins. I love Lady Gaga as much as the next homo, but come on, what was with that song at the end? Like, no. With that being said, I'll open it to the floor. Kevin, I know that you actually are a supporter of this film. I am. I pushed you to pick this. You um, did, yes. I did, because you were like, what's my third film going to be? And I said, you gave us options, and I said this one. Mm -hmm. Because I think, while it will more likely than not make my top ten, I do think it's an important film for us to talk about this year because it's number one at the box office. It is the film that all of our parents and grandparents saw three or four times. Um, They risked their health in COVID for Tom Cruise. Um, And no, I kid, but it is, it is, it was and is so entertaining. Like it is, it is a good time. And that first one I did, I watched it before or rewatched it before. And outside of the homoerotic volleyball scene, ain't not much there. And Meg Ryan is booger boots in that movie. And I stand by it. Whatever accent she was doing. Oof. I will say John Mellencamp, Teddy Mellencamp's father would not be oppressed. But anyways, I think this, I think this movie represents to your point. I think that's a good thing. Like Hollywood in 2022, what, what is important and that's movie stardom. And at the core of that is Tom Cruise, like love him or hate him. I I say everyone gets one Scientologist. He's mine. And I think (laughs) he's very, very charismatic. I think he's he's really giving you everything you need. And he's a reason people go to the movies still. And he is very good in this and he may get an Oscar nomination for this. And it is wild to me, but And it's just, I think it was just a fun time at the movies and that's what people wanted. Yeah. And I will say to be uh, equal opportunity objectifying, he also looked terrific in this movie. Oh, he's hot. He's hot. 60-something? Am I correct? 60s? Mm -hmm. I would watch a Say Uncle with him and Glenn Powell. Oh my God. <laughs> there you go. Chris is like, I don't know who that is, but I'm going to look it up later. Um, I, but- I didn't see this movie, but my mom saw two movies in the theater this year and they were both Top Gun. <laughs> and after the second one, yeah. yeah, after the second one, she texted me and said, I knew everything that was going to happen, but I was still on the edge of my seat the entire time. Oh my so I haven't seen it yet, but I just kind of feel like I have to rep for the, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm no. very intrigued. Yeah. Uh, Joey? Oh, I haven't we, seen it either. Oh, you were doing the gameplay rag of approval. No, because I was like, me and Carissa are the only ones who haven't seen it because I wanted to see it in the theater. In a, I wanted to see it in like amazing, mm-hmm. awesome sound, and it was gone. And then, like, now we yeah, have. Yeah, now like, you just don't want to pay for it. You just no, no, like, you gotta actually, go to streaming. Someone, someone yeah. gave it to me. Someone gave oh. me a, like a Blu ray of it. And my husband and I have, like, we're trying to turn our basement into like a super fancy. Ooh media room and like Very we got nice. like super fancy speakers and i'm just waiting for a time i was like we have to watch top gun and i suffered 
through that original movie. And I don't care if Meg Ryan is horrible in it. It's Meg Ryan, and she and I love her. And if she needs a comeback, how dare you? I, she I, does. I have a lot of. She does. I'm gonna have um some notes for you, Mr. Dylan. After this is over, um, <laughs> everyone always does. <laughs> and I will say, objectifying. I've seen many a, a preview of all the men menses in it, and that's <laughs> that's enough. For me to definitely make sure I check it out by the end. Of the yeah, yeah. It, 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 Brandon, I, you had something to say. I just wanted to quickly throw my, my. I have three very quick thoughts on Maverick, which is why I wanted you to pick it. I want to throw <laughs> out. So they finally made a, a good Top Gun movie by making a Star Wars movie. It is an Ooh. X-wing. <laughs> it, it's a beat for beat, yeah. uh, plot for it plot. Is. It is a just a X-wing run, uh, taking yep. as many plot points from Star Wars films as they could and just grafting them onto the Air Force. Yeah, uh, and I feel like that has not been cited nearly enough. Where it was like they finally realized, hey, that first film not great. We kind of like, but people remember it. What if we made a good Top Gun movie? And then they realized maybe the Air Force only has so much. So Star Wars, it is. Um, I was not charmed by Miles Teller. He remains the hurdle for me in anything he's ever yep. appeared. Yeah, and it only kept being more for this one because yeah, Glenn Powell, awesome, hot, charming, everything, and secondarily, Manny Jacinto in an unspeaking yes. role in the background in like a half yes. dozen scenes and just kept driving me nuts of like, you guys made the effort to cast Manny Jacinto and then give him nothing. Meanwhile, the void of charisma here is trying to chew scenery next to Cruz. Oh. Um, and then my final thing was just also, um, as much I enjoyed the hell out of it, it was a perfect like summer movie entertainment. Uh, I did keep being bothered by it. It's also a deeply, cons- I feel like it's the conservative vision of the future of we want to do things how we always did with minimal regulation, but we'll invite a few minorities and women along now. Yes. I, yeah, that is very true. true. And I was thinking of that. Like there's one woman in, well, you have the Jennifer Connelly role, which is fine. Yeah. But then you have one woman who's in the program. Just one. That's it. Yeah. yeah. No. And it is like, true. look, if you're, yeah, if you're not white or you're woman, look, if as long as you follow the head white guy's orders, you're totally cool. Exactly. And I will follow whatever orders John Hamm has to give me. He was wearing <laughs> that, that sure. shirt was so tight that I was <laughs> I was sweating just watching yeah. that shirt, waiting for it just to bust loose in his bosom. But anyway, um, Brendan, <laughs> why don't you take us oh, into yes. your first pick? Okay. Uh, yeah, my second pick is uh, so the most fun, fun I had in a theater and going back to why I love going to a theater, Barbarian. Uh, this was a great year for horror in general. I honestly could have just picked three horror films this year. Um, but this was my favorite theater experience except, for, well, yeah, probably this was my favorite. It was so surprising, tense, hilarious, and it was just that rare movie where I could never predict what was going to happen next. Um, because I think it is best seen knowing nothing, I'll be really brief on the synopsis. Two people, uh, or sorry, a woman shows up at her Airbnb. It's the middle of the night. She goes to get in and discover somebody's already in the Airbnb and they do a quick check and they actually both seem to legitimately have booked this Airbnb and it becomes the, why don't you come in and we figure this out from there. It becomes just a consistently, it keeps changing its game and surprising you as a horror movie. It's almost like three smaller horror movies overlapping into one, but it does all add up to a coherent movie by the end, uh, even with all of its surprises and tonal shifts. And also, uh, beyond just being a really fun theater experience, this was the best audience I had all year. And I happened to go to similarly like a two in the afternoon screening like a week or so after it opened. Um, But also, it has actually, it's really strong thematically. It's a pretty great portrait of the different ways that men's toxic attitude and choices impact women in their lives, going from like mildly inconvenient to like horrifically life-threatening. So yeah, it's just this really interesting 
kind of like showcase of like how a woman tries to survive in a world of men. Um, but again, it's all of that while just being fun. Like even the opening is almost this like meet cute that could like just as easily be a rom-com to then just builds and builds to like this ridiculous bloody finale that you would not have predicted from that opening moment. Um, and also the best funniest needle drop I've seen to close out a movie uh, in a long time. If the cleaning fees that are part of Airbnb weren't enough for me to say no, then Cain Barbarian. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, Carissa, have you seen this? So I have not seen it, but I've read a lot about it and I know enough to know that it is not my jam. Is it too scary? Is that your thought process? Uh, I think it gets too weird is my thing, but it's also like, eh, anything with the premise of like a woman shows up at an Airbnb and a dude's already there, but she decides to go in anyway. I'm just like red flags everywhere. I don't know if I want to engage (laughs) with this. So yeah. Fair. Kevin, did you see it? I did. Um, I, had mixed thoughts when I first watched it, but to be honest with you, the more I think about it, the more I genuinely enjoy what it was and what it, like what existed in it. And, um, I send a lot of like joke memes and gifs in contention with this movie, which shows that it's kind of stayed in my brain in a very interesting way. There's a lot of like, not going to say what the theme of the gifs are. They have to do with a familial relationship. I'll just say mm-hmm. that. Uh, and, uh, and there is a line that uh, an actor says, again, I, I think you should go into this movie blind. Uh, there's a line yeah. that an actor says in this movie, and he is a hundred percent allowed to use that word. Um, it's perfectly, perfectly used it is it is very entertaining it's uh someone who maybe dated drew barrymore that's all i'll say uh <laughs> tom green uh, what are you doing here yeah, oh <laughs> exactly um it, it, it is a, i think it it probably is the one of the top tier horror films mm-hmm. of the year i would say and for sure there were a lot of them it as you great. noted yeah, Brendan, there were a lot what a terrific year for horror. Joey, mm-hmm. you were nodding along as Kevin was talking about this. Have you watched Barbarian? Yeah, I had a really good time with it. Um, if you want, your, I guess if you want your movie to take really big swings and have a really good payoff, you can cast Justin Long. Mm-hmm. I mean, with like this or Drag Me to Hell or Tusk. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Drag Me to I, Hell. The, oh, I, I love, love that, movie that movie so much. <laughs> It's, um, I thought that maybe by the end, I wasn't as like, you know, down with it. Like I thought the first two thirds were a lot stronger, but I, I think that was, I think there should be more movies where we're watching it and we're like 40 minutes in and we like turn to our friends and we're like, what the fuck? Happen. Yeah. No, when I could, I literally heard somebody say that aloud in a theater <laughs> Tuesday afternoon. Like, that is the, that is what I want from cinema. It <laughs> was, it was like, popcorn Karen. Yeah. <laughs> she wanted I mean, in the it, wrong film. If, if we have more movies that take big swings and maybe like, okay, it doesn't all work, I would prefer that over something that's way more yeah. calculated. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Great pick, Bren. Uh, Carissa, I'm going to pass it to you for your second pick. 
Yeah. So I'm, I'm after my first downer pick, <laughs> uh, I'm moving on an upswing. So my second pick is something that I journeyed really far to see because it had a weirdly small theatrical release and is still not streaming accessibly beyond, you know, VOD rentals. Um, it's Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, the adaptation, the film adaptation by Jenny Slate um, and her husband, Dean Fleischman Camp. Um, it follows Marcel the Shell, who's a little shell with shoes on, um, and his life with his Nana Connie. Um, the premise of the film is that they're discovered by Dean, who's an Airbnb resident and like does a little, you know, I don't know, 10 minute YouTube documentary about this cute little shell that's at this place um, and where maybe his family might be because Marcel's family has been missing for the last two years since the people that used to live in the place um, had an argument and one of them moved out and took the drawer that had most of his family in it, like dumped it into a suitcase and left. Um, so Marcel is trying to locate his family and Dean kind of elevates the story via YouTube. It becomes an internet sensation. Marcel and his grandmother, Nana Connie, um, also a shell, fangirl Leslie Stahl in 60 minutes, like nobody's <laughs> business. Um, eventually their story ends up there. Uh, and there's kind of a lot of like big questions around it. Like, do we do this? Do we not do this? Um, how comfortable are we with the, you know, bigness of the rest of the world? Um, so yeah, it, it, I, I don't know if this is a kid's film, I mean, it's it's PG. Uh, there are definitely jokes about pubic hairs <laughs> and other things in it. Um, but it's also, there's also a lot of stuff. There's grief and there's some real sadness there. But there's a lot of sweetness. And what I loved about this film is kind of what I love about just miniatures. Um, they make you see the world in a different way. So Marcel does big things in his world by riding within a tennis ball, like down the stairs. Um, he climbs up walls by dipping his feet in honey. Um, there's this great scene where he uses the mixer to shake um, berries and things off the branches on the tree outside. It's, it's just... It's one of those things that made me look at my world in a different way through a different lens. And that's what I absolutely loved about it. Plus, you have the Jenny Slate sweetness and humor, which is a thing I'd been sorely missing and was very grateful to uh, embrace this year. So this is computer animated, correct? Yeah, it's stop motion, but also like live action mixed okay. in with it. Thank you for, for coming for mm -hmm. me. I've seen the, the photos, of, but I haven't actually seen it. And I, mm -hmm. I saw Joey having a moment when you were talking about this, so I want to get his thoughts. But I just have to ask the question, is the Airbnb that Marcel was in the same Airbnb from Barbarian? It is, and hence the conversations about pubic hair. Yeah, okay. Oh. I, just, I needed to clarify for our listeners. <laughs> oh Thank you. I'm so oh. glad that I did the layup and you just spiked it down. Thank you, Brendan. Oh this was planned, so. You got that locked and loaded. I mean, to Marcel, the curly hairs make the best ropes, okay? Oh. <laughs> ropes are something completely different in my community, but yes, let's go with that. <laughs> 
<laughs> Joey, talk to us about this sweet little film. <laughs> Now that we've completely um, X-rated, I just think it's—I don't know—it's—it's it's pure, it's pure of heart. I think that I don't mm-hmm. know any other movie that I watched this year where I was just smiling the whole time, and it's just sort of like if this little shell can make his or their life work. I mean, yeah. I have nothing to complain about. So, I mean, there's like a beautiful simplicity to it. I'm a big fan of simplicity, and it's—it's—I I love what you said, Carissa, about changing your perspective I, I definitely felt that it's 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 important it's an important movie I think there's a really sweet scene where Marcel is trying to cheer up his grandmother and so he jumps on a pillow to release dust onto the end table and which turns it into a skating rink and does like mm-hmm. some like ice skating figure eights on it and it's just like I, it was so moving to see in a theater. Um, yeah, it was one of the most incredible experiences I had this year. Well, I'm so glad that you put it up here because I think more people need to hear about it. The people I knew who have seen it absolutely love it. So I'm so glad that you shared it with our listeners. Um, Kevin, why don't you talk to us about your second pick? Yeah, I am going to make my second pick, uh, the South Korean film Decision to Leave. Uh, Decision to Leave um, is a film by Park Chan-wook, who did Old Boy and The Handmaiden. Um, Both films, super fascinating, super interesting. Um, He has a really interesting way of showing these incredibly visual worlds um, regardless of how um, extensive or simple that they can be in telling them this follows um, this film follows a detective who's highly meticulous a seasoned detective very high very very professional um, married man who um, starts investigating the death of a, a gentleman who died while he was climbing a mountain. Um, and, and the detective soon gets kind of pulled into the world of the, the dead man's wife, who he potentially ass- assumes may have had something to do with her husband's death in some capacity. But, uh, you know, without necessarily going down the rabbit hole of the plot, you know, I think what makes this film interesting, it's, it's just a really it may be one of the best love stories of the year, oddly enough. Like it's very beautiful in how you get to see two people kind of find the simplicity in their relationship, whether in, in a healthy or unhealthy way. Um, Tang Wei, who plays the, the uh, wife of the gentleman who lost his life while mountain climbing, who was also in Lost Caution, gives, I think, one of the best performances of the year. She's so... She's entrancing. It's almost like getting you're you're getting pulled in to her story. And I think what ultimately happens is you kind of play detective and you kind of play the role of the detective as you're falling in love with her. You're trying to figure out the mystery. You're trying to unravel this story. Um, there's a clip that's actually circulating on Twitter, which actually shows some of the visual effects that exist within this film right now. And, and it's kind of wild how much of the film is VFX derived. And you get to see this very beautifully shot, beautifully edited. One of the most, I think it just won 
are tied for best editing at the Boston Society Film Critics today. Like the editing is so interesting because you essentially get to see this interlocking exploration of crimes that exist uh, and watching the the things that the the detective may or may not think happened as they're playing out. It's just so fascinating. Um, What you're ultimately left with is kind of how do you, I guess, really necessarily meet someone and experience the work that you have and what you're doing and also interlock with human human interactions and what those look like and how our daily lives kind of unfold in ways we may not expect. And I, I think the, uh, the thing that I will note about Park Chan Wook, uh, especially with his two more well-known again, old boy and the handmaiden um, they're both all very intimate and, and personal in the way they, the characters connect, but this felt the most kind of like, quiet and reserved for me in a way that really like felt very beautiful and worked on a level that I, I really want folks to get to be able to explore. This is on movie. If you have movie and it's also available on VOD now um, it's, it's just a really engrossing film and, and it's not necessarily about the crime and whatnot. Again, it's a lot about two folks kind of inter two ships in the night, basically in, in a simple way. Brandon, I see you nodding a lot on this. You've seen it, I'm assuming? Yeah, no, I, this is one of my favorites of the year also. Um, really fantastic film and really, uh, as somebody who loves um, his fi- uh, films, this was kind of a departure uh, in a sense because it's much more of a tragic romance than I expected. I always go into his stuff uh, expecting a little bit more genre-heavy stuff and this skews a little differently from that um again i think what kevin said there is a romance at the heart of this um yeah healthy or unhealthy is kind of up to up to the viewer up to you you can kind of discuss after but um the other thing i just wanted to say uh, goes to what he was saying about effects um i hope because i was just watching i felt like uh, you are going to see in this what all the smartest procedurals in either film or tv are going to be stealing over the next five years like this is just coming up with ideas and filmic language on how to tell mysteries and procedural type stories that if they're, if the right people are watching, it's like, this is what, how you can do it. And some ideas that haven't been done to death yet. It felt like finally a breath of fresh air in that area. Great. I thought the exact, I thought the exact same thing. I was like, Oh, we are going to get a lot of U S shows, British shows that Mm -hmm. steal from this and make this the core of how they make their new, the fall or whatever. Like true detective season five is going to be borrowing this way of like interpreting memory and revisiting things. Yeah. Yep. And that's exactly. media colonialism, kids. Yeah, um, sure yeah. is, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, thank you, Kevin. Uh, Joey, do you want to take us out with your second pick? Sure. Um, my second pick, I did not expect to like this movie so much. I thought it was too soon. I was nervous to watch it. Um, while I know how important the movie is, is uh, She Said by Maria Schrader. I love Maria Schrader as a director. I think she can elicit, I think she can elicit um, beautiful performances from her actors. And I think I am a sucker for a good newspaper story. Who knew that typing publish on (laughs) 
a WordPress uh, story would be one of the most thrilling moments of the year for me. Um, I think Carrie Mulligan's toughness, um, Zoe Kazan's sympathy, and the remarkable, in my opinion, performances from Jennifer Elay and Samantha Morton in this, all about um, the unprecedented takedown of Harvey Weinstein by the New York Times. Um, I don't know. It's, it's just like a story that feels so fresh. And it's, it's one of those things where like, I don't want to see that yet. But it's also like, it is so vital and it is so important. And I think it's so carefully crafted. I think there's a lot more visually going on than we sort of uh, realize, um, you know, besides Patricia Clarkson's chunky, ne- chunky necklaces, like <laughs> all of them. Um, I think Andre Brower is really fantastic in this. And I think this is a really beautiful example of what a strong ensemble does. I feel like I feel the push and the pull from everyone in there. Um, I think there was a common misconception that ensemble means a ton of actors or ensemble means that there are big showy moments for a bunch of people. Don't look up, shut up. Um, it's, it's, um, I don't know. It's I, that movie has stuck with me. The images of all these like women's brave women's faces. And also just Ashley Judd get, come on. I don't know. I just, I just think it's, uh, I don't know. I just think it's a beautifully acted movie and I think it deserves way more attention than really getting it, yeah i feel like it's and i keep reading pieces like why is this movie not performing better um has anyone seen it anyone else i have um yeah. i think it's great i am also a it's sucker solid. for it yeah solid. i'm a sucker for a journalism film too like joey said like that is like probably um one of my favorite anything about like yeah, like hitting pub- like I love that you just said hitting publish on like a word pro- like it was just enthralling and I I think the performances are great. I was obsessed also with Patricia Clarkson's uh necklaces, hair, glasses. It's, she's just it is a really good ensemble and and I was concerned about it being too soon with the Harvey Weinstein of it all, but I think they do such a really good job of I think humanizing the writers to help make this a really good story. So you like really get to understand their connection. Their previous work is really what starts a little bit of the film and, and what sets them up for this. Um, I guess maybe a slight spoiler alert, obviously Trump gets brought into this as well. And like assault um, in general. And, you know, it's, lack of coverage or coverage and, and why that matters. And, you know, I think it's, it's, I think the reason that a film like this doesn't necessarily do well at the box office in November is because it's not necessarily a topic people want to visit at the theaters potentially in November. And, and I feel like this would have been a great August film or a great May film. And like, we need to spread the wealth throughout the year and we'll get to a film that was released earlier in the year soon. That's doing very well or did very well. But like, this is a a film that deserves folks attention. Hardcore. I, I do think it's also really important to realize that this is sort of the beginning of, because of it begins with the Donald Trump candidacy and it not being taken seriously. 
And the thing is that I think is really important. It was really um, breathtaking to me to sort of see how in just a number of years, a man who has a platform like that and becomes president of the United States can uh, allegedly delegitimize the, uh, the media and the press. And this is, I got like emotional, you know, yeah. seeing these people who just want to tell the truth. And then there is a man and a group of people who can just be like, it's fake. And the way that they can sort of flick it away with a toss of a hand, it's really upsetting. And I think it's really important to see that because you get to see these two reporters really hit the ground running to make sure that they tell the truth and, you know, pay respect to the women who are trying to tell a very dangerous thing about something that happened to them. Um, and, what, and one thing I'll say that like, not to like compare in it like necessarily pro versus con way, but like, I think this film does a better job of telling survivors stories than say like spotlight. Mm-hmm. Like you actually are, you get to feel the like experiences of those folks and, and it may be triggering for some people. And I, I fully get that, but like, you get to see the empowerment too. Like they do a lot to not only show the brave, they show the bravery and the boldness of these folks who are survivors of this experience in in a really thoughtful and personal way without like really, and and again, Spotlight didn't do this, did not do this, but like you get to see more of it here in my opinion. I think Spotlight focused on the craft of journalism and less on the yes. actual uh, survivors themselves. It was more about the exactly. journey yeah, to get true. the story, less about the, the actual background of it. But I'm so glad that you brought this to our attention, Joey, and I'm glad that we are speaking about it. So um, thank you. With that, we are going to take another quick break and we will be right back with our final round of picks for our favorite films of the year. We'll be right back. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. And we are back with our last round of our Best of 2022 film episode. Before we wrap things up, I want to ask our panel, where can people find you on social media? What else are you working on? And what are some of your honorable mentions for the films of the year? And I'm going to start with Brendan. Uh, Sure thing. Uh, I am on Twitter at B underscore Hay and on Instagram at Brendan Hay Writer. Uh, For 2023, I have a new TV show coming to HBO Max, uh, Gremlins, Secrets of the Mogwai. Um, Yeah, uh, one of the exec producers of the show, writer on it. And um, yeah, we've been working on it for a very, very long time. Uh, Fingers crossed we are you all finally be getting to see it in 2023. Uh, Very, very excited I, and yeah no go ahead no you go ahead i was about to just pivot slightly go for it i was just gonna say I, every time i hear some news about hbo i'm just sitting there crossing everything prayer circle being like we have to keep that project alive <laughs> thank you so far so good so uh yes. you know just 
keeping a lot of things crossed. But yes. um, my uh, runner-up picks for film. Um, two two animated films that uh, would have almost made my top three here that I absolutely love this year. Super personal visions that are gorgeous to look at in a very unique way. Uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio and uh, Turning Red. Uh, mm. Then also want to throw a thing to another little quick duo. Uh, Ty West had a great year going to the amazing year of horror. Um, both <laughs> X, which continues the Ortega renaissance, and uh, Pearl with Honestly, uh, right after Kate Blanchett, uh, Mia Goth in Pearl might be my other mm-hmm. favorite uh, performance mm-hmm. from anyone this year. So love those movies. And one last one, just an utter blast, Glass Onion. Uh, one other one that was just so much fun and the audience was so much fun for it. I wish it had more theatrical release. I am excited to see it when it finally does come to a theater near me. It's not available where I am yet. But thank you. Uh, Carissa, where can people find you and what are you up to? They can find me at Carissa Kloss on most platforms, and I am doing nothing public, but I will shoehorn a bunch of movies that I really liked this year. I love it. Because I thought it was a good year for film. Um, I really loved Scream, the new slash sequel, reboot, whatever. Loved everything about it. It kicked off our year of Ortega. Um <laughs> I also had a really good time seeing Bodies, Bodies, Bodies in the theater. Um, I have been trying to watch as many 2022 films as I could. And good luck to you, Leo Grand, is something that I saw earlier this year and has really stuck with me. It's it's Emma Thompson and a sex worker. (laughs) It's amazing. Um... See How They Run, which is currently on HBO, is a really, really, really fun. Like, if you liked um, Knives Out, if you're looking forward to Glass Onion, like, this is a fun Agatha Christie, uh, like, Easter eggs everywhere, whodunit kind of film. Um, And then the weirdest but kind of most likable thing I saw this year is called Brian and Charles. It's a film about a guy who makes, it's sort of like Lars and the Real Girl, but he makes an AI companion out of a washing machine. Um, And that's Charles. And and his friend is Brian, who he always says his name is Bran. Um, And it's just really funny. So I I was very charmed by that. Saw a lot of great stuff. My whites have never been whiter. Uh, no, but thank you for that, Carissa. Uh, Kevin, uh, how about you? How can people find you? Uh, what are you working on? And what are some of your honorable mentions? Well, I'm always working it, but I'm not working yes. on anything. Um, uh, you can find me on Twitter at ET Kevin's Mind. Honorable mentions, uh, Benediction by Terrence Davies. Um, after Yang uh, and Glass Onion... Uh, which I loved. If you can or haven't seen it, invite a large group of people over to watch it in community because it's really funny and deserves to be seen in a pseudo theatrical setting. Um, And then uh, things I'm looking forward to that I haven't gotten a chance to see quickly. Babylon. I love mess and it sounds entertaining slash crazy, even though I know there are many that don't like it. Um, and then the other thing I'm looking forward to, uh, Coriata's film Shoplifters broke my heart, and I'm very much looking forward to Broker breaking my heart as well. 
Uh, so that is the film that I'm probably the most looking forward to. Excellent. Uh, you guys could not see this again, audio medium, but Joey was violently shaking his head. No, as Kevin was talking about Babylon. Uh, so Joey, with that being said, a, how can people find you? Tell us about your other projects and then your picks for honorable mentions. Sure. Um, folks can find me across multiple platforms at, at Joey Moser 83. I joined hive at Joey, Joey, Joey. We'll see if it goes to hell. Who knows? Um, something that I do for awards daily is I am the, um, I always say I'm the short person who covers short films. I cover short <laughs> films all year. There's a lot of really great stuff out there. If people follow the Oscars, the uh, Oscar shortlist come out on the 21st. Um, you will see an obsessive amount of interviews that I have done for short films. I think it's a beautiful medium that people need to pay more attention to. Um, honorable mentions. I also love Benediction, Fire of Love. I'm in the pro camp for bros. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. Um, funny pages. Love it. Fableman, Speak No Evil. I'm just rattling off. Oh, uh, speak to evil. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. That scared the, the shit out of me. The, the feel bad movie of the year. Oh my God. Really good. <laughs> I, well, I finished that and I was like, what the fuck did yeah. I want? Um, yeah. Catherine called birdie, uh, lie with me, which is a good queer film. Um, I also love obviously a lot of queer stuff. Um, and also a movie that I did not expect to love is spirited. I love that movie a lot. And mm. a movie that I'm looking forward to, even though I'm terrified of what's going to happen is EO, which mm. I have a screener for, but I haven't, um, been able to watch it or something like Wildcat on Amazon. I'm terrified to watch it. Um, anything with animals. I'm like, the animals be okay. kill all the humans, make all the animals happy. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I can't watch that stuff with my partner. It's very uncomfortable. Uh, he literally got out of the chair and walked out of the room in that cat episode of the Sandman. That's not a joke. Um, anyway, thank you, Joey. And we're so glad that you were able to join us for this episode. We really do yeah. appreciate it. Um, me. Of course. And as for me, you can find me at Eric Resniak on all the things and make sure you're following at culture underscore debate on Twitter at great pop culture debate on Instagram and at GPCD on Mastodon and Hive as we'll be slowly migrating all of our social activity to those channels, which are not currently being run by evil billionaire douchebags. Um, in terms of my... Um, honorable mentions i will just pick up one that joey mentioned briefly i love bros and i think that the um media push against it was as disappointing as it was predictable um i thought it was really funny i don't care what anybody says i thought it was unnecessary and fairly insightful even if it's slightly overdone kind of discussion of what it's like to be a gay male in modern society and uh, I am all for it and I will even it's not a amazing film that's going to blow you away but I thought Fire Island along the same lines was really charming mm -hmm. and I yeah. loved it for its visibility and I just thought the whole thing was sweet and lovable and um, I'm just going to say it so that yep. being said let's go to these third picks my final pick for the year is Everything Everywhere All at Once if Top Gun Maverick is the definitive Hollywood film of the year <laughs> Everything Everywhere All at Once is the definitive indie film of the year and possibly overall the most important film of 2022. I believe every member 
member of this panel nominated this film for their top film list, but it's my show and not theirs. So I claimed it. <laughs> that being said, I don't even know where to start here. It's tremendous financial success. It grossed more than $100 million on a $25 million budget. Uh, should I talk about the incredible visuals, which are down on a shoestring? The wildly and honestly wild is not even strong enough inventive concept of this film in which an ordinary woman, the owner of a small laundromat who's being harangued by the IRS and doesn't know what to do with her elderly father and does not know how to communicate with her young child, not young child, she's a young adult. Um, uh, and then she has to access all of her multiversal selves in order to save reality from an existential threat. Should we talk about the cast of Asian American acting luminaries led by Michelle Yeoh, Kei Kwan, James Hong, and Stephanie Sue, all of whom are finally getting their much-deserved moment in the sun thanks to this film? Should we talk about the incredibly moving mother-daughter, father-daughter, husband-wife relationships, and arguably the relationship with yourself that are the underpinnings of the film overall? We can talk about all of it. It is a spectacular piece of cinema from writers, directors, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinart, and easily one of the most impactful films I saw this year, if not the past several years. With that being said, I'm going to open to the group because I know everybody has a lot of feelings about this one. I'm going to start with Carissa. Talk to me about your feelings about this film. You didn't mention the googly eyes. The googly eyes. <laughs> or also the hot dog fingers. The hot dog. Rakakuni. The rock oh, sequence. Rak like there's so many amazing parts of this film. Every single bit of this was a gem, but there's the there's a scene that one of my coworkers at my Buddhist publisher um, described as being incredibly zen, and it involves the rocks universe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and the way that they're communicating. And also that exact scene made me miss my mom mm. so hard. And like, I just, there, there's bits about it that just, yeah, it, it wants to, it tunes you into yourself. And it also wants to tune you into your community and where you came from. And I just felt the film, it was so big hearted and just so full of love. I, it was probably my favorite cinema going experience in a really long time. Yeah. Brendan, what about you? Yeah, no, this is actually, this is my pick for my favorite movie I saw this year. Um, and it, I also, just for the numbers to back that up, it's the only movie I think I saw more than once in the theater this year. Like, I just absolutely loved it and just could get so much out of every viewing. Um, and yeah, just one other thing, uh, the scene with the rocks made me cry each time I did see it. And rocks, I would never have thought on paper that would be possible. But yeah, my God, love that well, movie. Well, I, I am going to push back there because anyone who lived through the 70s knows pet rocks were actually mm -hmm. a very big part of our culture at That's one time true. and so many of them died yeah. before they were going to make a different Two kind times. of joke oh yeah <laughs> part of my community but no we're not going to go there kevin uh any thoughts on everywhere everywhere a thing all of the things all at once <laughs> so i think the the one thing i'm going to say about this film because there there's a lot that could be said um is someone, I don't remember who it was, pointed out that the last few years have been very emblematic of what has won Best Picture, starting kind of around Parasite. Like, I think it was Parasite. But a lot mm -hmm. of the most recent Best Picture winners have been about family. And I do actually, mm -hmm. it could be this, it could be Fablemans. I actually think it's going to be this that wins Best Picture, are, are centered around family. But the one year that the Oscars were held in the pandemic, the film was about isolation. And kind of navigating isolation, which was Nomadland. But mm -hmm. like, it's this very interesting 
and lovely story about how we navigate our families and what that looks like and, and how we have different varied experiences in almost a multiversal lens in this film and, and what that kind of, how we choose our paths and how our paths are chose chosen for us. And I think the film does such a really good job. And I, I, I think these are two filmmakers who Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinart, 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 Scheinart are, are just like, like very Scheinart. I'm no, sorry. Oh my Scheinart god, I'm thinking of Dirty Rock. Oh my god. Oh if my he's god. not anyway. involved with the Scheinart Wig Company, I'm going to no, be upset. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, I think they're two filmmakers who are just so thoughtful and lovely and just want to love film. Like, they're two yeah. people who really love film. Um, and I really appreciate that. And, Joey, anything from you? Uh, it's my favorite movie of the year. I don't think anything comes close to it. It's uh, I've seen it like six or seven times just because anytime anyone comes over to my house, they're like, what do you want to watch? I was like, everything, everything, all at once. And I think I think Stephanie Hsu is just, uh, there's something about how she carries pain and, yeah. and, and longing on her, her exquisite face. That um, and I'm gonna do a shameless plug. I have I am posting an interview with her tomorrow. Ah. It was I I it was like I was actually as soon as the interview was over, I was a little ashamed at how much I geeked out on her because I'm <laughs> I love her from you know Maisel. She was a, mm-hmm. she's a Broadway actress. She mm-hmm. has a beautiful singing voice, and it's I think that's one of my f- most famous uh, uh, most favorite performances of the year just because it's she she the parking lot scene towards the end of that movie. That is not the end of the movie. That is the, that is a beginning. That is a new beginning of their relationship. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And nothing is nothing is um, tidy or clean about it. They are going to have the same fights, but they are going to have this parking lot moment as a landmark that they know that they can get back to something that is okay. And I think it is an absolutely beautiful, much more universal film than a lot of people think it is. It is specific but universal at the same time. And I and I just love it i think it's stupid and fun and 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 heartbreaking at all at the same time i cannot gush enough about this movie yeah and now i want to have an everything bagel but um thank you (laughs) i'm gonna pass it off to brendan for your final pick of the year sure my last pick is nope um jordan peele's uh, so basically, it's like kind of the year's best big screen spectacle that is also an indictment of big screen spectacles. Um, it's like, I think from all of my picks, I love big swings. And I love, especially it's like, this is the biggest swing yet from Jordan Peele, who also seems to quite love big swings. Uh, but at the same time, it's also maybe his most subtle in a strange way. Um, and while still being thrilling and in at least one sequence, absolutely terrifying. Um, I also think he's really his getting even not there's ever been bad performances in this film, but they're getting stronger and stronger because this is another one going to the ensemble nature of just everybody coming together and having such unique flavors that only they could bring, like Kiki Palmer's charm, um, the newer kid, uh, was it Brandon Pereira, uh, just absolutely or Pereira is fantastic and so good and somebody I've never seen before and so unique. Uh, Michael Wincott, who I hadn't seen in ages, I missed that gravelly voice, and then. The highlight of it all for me was Stephen Yoon. Um, I hope I'm not mispronouncing his last name. But uh, just such an amazing portrait of how someone tries to live with trauma. Um, 
it's just, yeah, it, it, him especially and his character and just how much is implied about his character's entire life without set, being said explicitly from just these few scenes you get with him just really totally stayed with me all year. Um, and then also, uh, at the same time, again, I saw this in IMAX and it was just beyond gorgeous. It, it's with a, maybe the best shot film of the year. And if we... Uh, can do a little bit of spoiler on the film. Um, the most original alien design I've seen in ages. Um, I could not believe is one of those concepts. That as soon as they did, I'm like, I cannot believe somebody hasn't done this before. Uh, but it's just such a clever new way to imagine that. Um, and then the one last thing, it's also the most LA movie I've seen of the year. I don't know if anybody else on the podcast is from LA. I'm pretty sure that's not the case, but yeah. um just some of the specifics going from like the Fry's Electronics that's five minutes from my house to like <laughs> set etiquette to the uh, the ranches where they film that are like just a half hour, 40 minutes away from me and where I was seeing it. It just felt like this was such a um, love letter and poison pen letter to L.A. and Hollywood at the same time. And uh, yeah, absolutely loved it. Uh, Kevin, have you seen it? I love this movie. I actually just watched it again before we recorded. Cause I was like, I want to watch this movie to have it like fresh in my brain. And I found it even more engrossing and more spectacular. The second time I loved it the first time. And um, I think the brother sister stuff is super interesting. I think you're spot on about the cinematography. I think it's Hoyt Van Hoytema. His mm-hmm. cinematography is, is so beautiful. It's so crisp. Mm-hmm. Uh, the score by Michael Abels, who did Us, is just like groundbreakingly. It's so beautiful and breathtaking and haunting. You're right about that scene being terrifying. I <laughs> it literally, I had to look away a little bit again. Right. Um, and um, I think the last thing I'll leave on this um, with is I think you're 100% with Jordan Peele and his vision. Um, it's almost like watching his like counter, like he was a great writer with get out and he's always been a great writer, but this is his evolution into great directorial yeah. uh, authorship. It. Like it's watching a person kind of take their writing skills and hone their directorial achievement in this film, which I think is um, what makes this continue his evolution as a, a creator of film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you. A terrific third pick, Bren. Carissa, how about yours, your final pick? Oh, so my final pick actually just came to the theater on December 2nd. So it's super, super recent, but um, I was lucky enough to see it during Denver Film Fest a couple of weeks ago um, when the director was actually in town and it's called Four Samosas. It The description that I read before choosing this film was that it's a Wes Anderson style heist movie. And like, if you know me, <laughs> there's like a few boxes that tick the things for me in heist movies and Wes Anderson are key. So uh, I went in with pretty high expectations um, and I was blown away I was absolutely delighted my face hurt from smiling at the end of this film um it's just it's kind of was everything um it's the story it's set in little India in LA which is a neighborhood called Artesia um it's the story of Vinny who upon finding out that his ex-girlfriend of three years ago is now engaged to somebody decides to 
steal the dirty diamonds from her father intended for her wedding that he stores in his grocery store um, and has to compile a crew to break in and do so. So it's really, it's kind of funny. It's got this caper thing. There's like a ragtag group of criminals that are, spoiler, not very good (laughs) at being criminals. Um, But they're really good at being actors. There's someone who refuses to give up a slow walk and a limp because that's part of their character, even during like a need to get a quick getaway. (laughs) Um... It's there's like a lot of attention on snacks, which I really appreciated. Um, There is a dance off. There's a couple of Bollywood style like let's talk about, you know, one of the great fun movies of this year is RRR, right? This movie has this really fun Bollywood dance off that happens. Um, and it's just, and there's like also talent show auditions and there's a very funny through line joke about Ashoka, uh, who transitioned to Buddhism after massacring thousands of people. And it's just like a really funny thing that they just keep bringing up. So uh, this movie, yeah, it's a second film by Ravi Kapoor. Uh, I haven't seen his first directorial film, which is called Miss India America, but it's on Hulu right now, and uh, it's high on my list. So, yeah, I just absolutely love this. I, my expectations were high, and I, I was, they were all exceeded. Love it. Has anybody else seen it? Kevin? No, I have not, but I've heard really good things. Yeah, same. Like, so brand new. Like, it's so brand new and just did the festivals and just came out. But yeah, he, it, it's an absolute delight. And I really hope more people are able to see it because it's so fun. I'm thrilled that you included it in this. Again, like, who needs to be told, like, ooh, Top Gun is a movie that people like. But, like, here's a movie that I think oh. probably a lot of people haven't heard. So You will, yeah. la- you will laugh, Eric, but there is a Twitter thread that is going around from some, like, startup.org bullshit thing where they're, like, reading A.O. Scott, Scott, who is uh, oh. New yeah. York. Yeah, he's a New York Times film critic. And there's this, like, startup Twitter handle that I don't even know what their connection to film is. And they're like, what is this top 10? No one's heard of it. It doesn't even have Top Gun on it. And it's like, that's not what top 10s are for, dude. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. With that being said, Kevin, why don't you talk to me about your final pick for the year? All right. So tell me to shut up because I'm going to talk about this film. I love this film. It's one of my favorites. It's my number two film of the year. It, it literally swaps almost probably daily back and forth between this and tar. And that's after sun by Charlotte Wells. It's her directorial feature debut. She is British and the protege of Barry Jenkins, who we worship Barry Jenkins. Um, He and Adele Romanski produced this film. um, And really just to simply summarize this film, um, this film follows uh, an Irish father and daughter on a, on their vacation um, set in the, I believe it's late 90s, early 2000s. I can't remember exactly, but they have a, a home video camera and you get to experience kind of this intersection of this home video capturing of their vacation mixed with past kind of 
thought processing around what this looked like. And I, I guess to somewhat spoil some things, but although I say go in this movie as blind as possible, you get to see some present day elements of where that young woman is. Um, and that's all I'll say. Um, but essentially what this film is about is, is about memory and who we were, what we thought we had to be, and then who we become. Um, and, and I think what makes this film so beautiful is um, it's so poignant. It's so thoughtful. Uh, Paul Mescal, who plays the father um, and, um, oh, I'm going to have to look up her name for a second. Um, I did my notes and I can't think of her name, uh, who plays the daughter. Uh, I think it's Corio is the last name. Uh, Frankie Corio, Frankie Corio. Uh, she's so, so good. Um, and, and then you get to see this really beautiful editing and cinematography and score and how, our, our lives are essentially a home movie and how do we remember what our lives were about um, and, and where we are now. And there's a really funny Macarena scene. Um, there's a really uh, uh, callback to our uh, one hit wonder episode. Mm-hmm. Um, there's really good moments of like who you kiss first and what that looks like and what that actually means and what it means to be with your parents on vacation, good or bad, and how that both has its positive and traumatizing moments and what that means for you. And um, it is a slow burn, and I will name that. It is a movie you have to just kind of let wash over you, and uh, it was a film that I, I am a person who gets up when the movie is over. I don't necessarily sit in the theater per se and let something wash over me unless it really has hit me. Um, and I literally sat in the theater for, pro- I think they almost maybe had to kick me out. I sat in the, the theater for probably five minutes after the film was over because it couldn't move because of, of where Karen. the film yeah exactly Karen, she was yes, she, I, yes. she wouldn't let you leave i'm sorry i know her popcorn had to leave first <laughs> she had to leave first me three callbacks it's too much but you know what know. we're, we're just going popcorn karen you're done your time is <laughs> over um no but i um i loved and and to be honest with you the last film that that happened with was barry jenkins moonlight and it it was it's kind of got that vibe it's so personal and it can connect to everyone as we think about our families the things we love the things that traumatized us the things that made us feel everything and how to be a young adult and what that looks like and i think we're all pretty close in an age range that kind of era of growing up with that home video camera and what that looked like and how we can look at those movies and remember who we were and, and where we, where we went um, in good and bad. And it's just really beautiful. It's such a beautiful film. Has anyone else seen it? 
Joey? Was that a yes or no? Yeah, that was a yes. Um, the movie, I actually, it's funny you're talking about home because I know Kevin is, in, is from Boston. Albany, but Albany. close. Never mind. You lived Same in Boston thing. for a number of years. But <laughs> yes. <laughs> Shut up. Um, I saw this movie while I was visiting Boston. Um, so that's sort of a weird connection. But it, it reminded me of when you go back to your parents' house and you go into your old room and you see things that you know are there, but looking at them conjures a weird feeling of longing to be a kid. Not even to be a kid necessarily, but um, it, it reminds you of who you were as a kid. And I don't know, there's a lot of stuff that you automatically put on yourself about expectation and, and goals and stuff like that. But it's, it's also about this really beautiful moment where you, don't know whether you need to step away from your parents. It's that weird awkwardness where you're just like, you know, you, you don't want to seem like uncool and funny in front of your friends, but you don't want to like offend your parents who you love so much. Um, I think if you are close to like, I was very close to my father. Um, so the mystery, the, the sort of darkened quarters of this movie sort of asks you to, visit is is very very special i think this movie means a lot of different things to a lot of different people mm, interesting yeah. uh brendan chris either have you seen it yet no it, not yet for me but i'm also like sort of offended that kevin just gets up and walks out after a movie like <laughs> kevin all so of those rude. people mm -hmm. worked to make this movie for you you can't spend five minutes to let their names scroll past show your the credits eyes. ahead of times that's oh my god i mean hey tar did figure that out tar did that's that right. That's right. Didn't Nope do that too? It wasn't. Awesome. Tar yeah. was not the only film this I the only film I saw this year that did that. That had yeah. almost everybody up front, which well, I, I just want to get away from people. Kevin yes. Dillon hates artists. That's what I'm getting, <laughs> yes, that's right. that's what I'm getting from this. There we go. Just a takeaway. Exactly. And well, one last thing I do want to say about this, which kind of pulls from Joey's thread, is like as a queer person, kind of like performing as an adult, like what you thought you should have, and like thinking then again about what you should have been as a child mm -hmm. is very much what you can take away from this film, regardless. Like you think about like who. And, and like, maybe not even as a queer person, but as any young othered individual, like what that looks like and why it matters. And as an adult that you have your authorship and like, I, I, to be honest with you, it's very funny. I see a lot of like straight folks not connecting to this movie hmm. I do too. Uh, a lot. And I think that's very telling um, and I'll name that, like, not to say that has one, one side of the fence or other, but like, I think that's very interesting because they're not engaging with the other nature of like childhood and like being an othered person, regardless of your, like you could have been bullied straight person. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But like, I think this film pulls threads that really connect you in a way that, a lot of films are trying to do this year, but this one does the best. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for bringing it to us, Kevin. Joey, why don't you take us home with your final pick for the night? Sure. Um, my, and I did not expect to love this movie as much as I did as Joanna Hogg's The Eternal Daughter. Um, 
I will fully admit the souvenir put me to sleep <laughs> both times that I watched it. And I felt like a bad homosexual <laughs> for, for that reason. And I didn't even see the second part. I think maybe I need to get away from the distance of it, of the, the popularity of it on film Twitter to really like it. Um, the eternal daughter is essentially a Gothic ghost story about a, a woman who is taking her mother to a hotel to um, the daughter is a filmmaker and she's trying to conjure up memories from her mother. The mother and daughter are both played by Tilda Swinton. Um, it's funny that we start the podcast with uh, 3000 years of longing. Swinton. 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 Yes. This is, um, and then you sort of learn throughout the movie that the hotel that they're staying at, this little inn that is run by seemingly this, this really uninterested receptionist. Um, was actually the home of the mother that they transformed into a, a hotel. And there's a lot of really beautiful um, weighted, uh, I don't want to say scariness, because it's not like a, like a horror movie, horror movie, but it's sort of like how your past can haunt you and can you quite literally go home again. And it's, it's this really beautiful, dark... Uh, it's like a, a, a like a nightmare that you sort of wake up from, and it's I, I did not expect it to um, to be a movie about you know parents and what they tell their kids and kids being afraid of asking questions of their parents and you realizing that you are an adult and your parent is an adult at the same time and sort of reconciling that and I think it is. It's sort of astonishing that, I mean, Tilda Swinton, we can probably all agree, is one of the greatest actors ever. And she, she, you know, will take risks like any other person that we have seen in the last 20 years. And it's, and she is, she has scenes with herself. And it's sort of like, I don't know where you end and where the mother begins. They're two beautifully distinct mm. characters. And even though I can see the physical similarities in you, I think they're two different people. And it's, it's, there's a lot of like visual stuff that really feels like, you know, maybe you see a ghost, maybe it's just the fog around this, this, this little hotel, but it's, it's, it's sort of like, I don't know, maybe what you're seeing, you sort of can't believe, but it's also at the same time, maybe you are really being haunted by a ghost. Who knows? Um, and I don't know. I, I I saw the movie a couple of weeks ago, and I have not been able to shake it. Mm. And and um, it's it's gorgeous and sad. That's all I, I I feel like. I can't really articulate what I love about it. I feel like there's a uh, a feeling about it that I can only sort of respond to, and it's, it's just really it's it's really great. <laughs> Gorgeous and sad, Lana Del Rey, the story. No, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's the name of my autobiography. Yeah. Mother, gorgeous and gorgeous sad. Gorgeous and sad. And sad. <laughs> we all be described that way. Sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe I'll be. Did anybody else see it? Brandon, I saw you nodding along. You haven't seen it oh, yet? Oh, no. I've, only, I've uh, read many good things on it. I, I'm sure it must have gotten a release here in LA. It's something I feel like I've read about a whole bunch, but I have actually not noticed it get a release yet. So I've been trying to keep an eye out. I think we yeah. just got it last week. I think, yeah, I think it like just sort of came out. Okay. Yeah. Also, isn't Joanna Hogg Tilda Swinton's actual daughter? No. Right? No? 
not? No, like no. No. Joanna Hogg directed in the yeah. souvenir. Tilda Swinton's daughter was the lead of it. Is Got that the it. connection? Right. Yes. Yes. Maybe that's yeah. what I was it about is. to say. Also, I yeah. believe. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. And I actually thought Joanna Hogg until I because I didn't like the souvenir. I didn't do a lot of research on. It. I know Kevin's a big fan of it, but um, I love the souvenir. But I actually thought that Joanna Hogg was like almost Alina Dunham age, and I am wrong. Oh, so oh. wrong. <laughs> um, no, she's yeah. like in her fifties. Yeah, think. yeah, hmm. yeah. Actually, Joanna Hogg is a really super interesting. I'm really excited for this one because I did, hmm. I did really like the souvenir. I like the souvenir part. There's souvenir part one and souvenir part two, and there's debate on what people like more or less. I like part one more, which is the slower one that people find more boring. Um, shocker. I like that more. Uh, and then there's part two, which is, is, is pretty good, but I'm excited to see this. I, I do think when I was watching it, I do, because I know you love the souvenir so much. I thought to myself, like, Oh, Kevin's going to eat that shit up. <laughs> I it's can't so wait. Good. It's so good. Watch, you're going you're gonna to watch it. You're like, I fucking hated it. I, hate it. Yeah, that's for me. I mean, Joanna Hogg, so she's a, she's a genius. And you're right about Tilda Swinton. Like she's, uh, she only has, still only has one Oscar nomination slash win. Am I right on that? That's she's, insane. She's, she's yeah. way too cool for them. That's, that's yeah. exactly. Like, that's that's the fact that she, she's our Juliet, second Juliet Binoche. Mm. <laughs> she's like winning Oscars on Mars. That's what, yeah. that's what yes. Yes. Is yes. That, that, yes. she's in. She's about. in a Ryan Murphy production of a Mars Fire. thing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know who's right behind her is Andrea Riseborough. Yes. Oh, yeah. I love her. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen? Yeah. Uh, everyone should also just watch Please Baby Please. That's awesome. I saw that. Ah! I saw that this year. That's that was the other thing I saw at Denver Film Fest, and it blew me away. What a and weird also ass Demi movie. Moore like is just yeah. so weird. Ooh, I don't even know about movie. this at all. all right. Yeah, I don't know about it's it at all. very. It's a very gender fuck. Uh, what would you call? It's sort of like a it's- like a. Greece. I said it would make John Waters proud. Oh, yeah. oh okay. very like that. that, very that. Yeah, it's weird yeah. and very intellectual. And uh, that's actually a, yeah. A, there's a lot of shit about gender roles, mm-hmm. and there's like greasers oh, and leather jackets. Right. Yeah, and Demi Moore. It's so good. It's so good. Well, this is a great way to kind of wrap up because even though we've we put forward 15 amazing films, so thank you all very much for all of your picks, there's still so many other good films that we didn't even get to talk about. So those are our picks. Did you watch any of them? Do you have your own options? Let us know by finding this episode at greatpopculturedebate.com or telling us on social media. I want to give a big thank you to our panelists. You all see way more films than I do, so I'm always grateful for you telling me exactly which ones I should make sure to track down. And I want to Thank you especially to our special guest, Joey. Please make sure you check out his works on Awards Daily. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you check out Great Pop Culture Debate's other Best of 2022 episodes devoted to music, books, and TV. And all of them are out now. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you listen to good social media, good social media, good podcasts. And make sure that you follow us on your social media accounts for all the latest news. And if you haven't yet supported us on Patreon, what are you waiting 
for. There are so many great perks and we'd love to have you as part of our little pod family. And buckle up because Great Pop Culture Debate has plenty more for you in 2023. Head to greatpopculturedebate.com right now to vote on the polls for season seven. We're talking best share song, best TV detective, best queer film, best Disney park ride, best film of 1999 will feature most of this panel. And that's just to name a few. Then in late January... Uh oh. <laughs> in late January, we'll be releasing our Patreon sponsored episodes, which include Best Children's Board Game, Best Song of 1985, Best Best Actress Oscar winner, and Best America's Next Top Model photo shoot. So much fun. We look forward to an amazing 2023. And remember, everyone is entitled to their wrong opinion. <laughs>